Good morning. How you guys doing this weekend? Do you hear the voice on that Lord's Prayer there? Who can talk like that? It's beautiful. Hey, welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name is Jason. It's my privilege to welcome you here. And as Pastor Reeve said, it's my joy to open up the Word of God with you. Man, we have three words to deal with today. So you don't need to go far. It's in Matthew 6, verse 10. Uh, Pastor Nate Wagner opened up last week with the Lord's Prayer. So as we're walking through the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer, we want to understand what is Jesus talking about? What does it mean that we're asking, we're petitioning for God's name to be holy in our lives, in our church, in our world? What does it mean today that we're asking God to bring his kingdom? What are we, what are we asking for? So uh, this, is what, this is where we're going. You don't even really need to open your Bibles, right? Who says that when you're preaching? We, we know this one, your kingdom come. This is it. I want us to understand what that means today and how we pray it and when we pray it, what we should expect from the Lord, what we should expect. Now, kingdom is not a word we use very much, but here's what I will tell you. Every one of us knows this. There's something horribly wrong with the world. We know this, and everybody wants it fixed. Everybody would like to see truth and righteousness and justice, not just as a hashtag, but as a reality in your life, in your world, in your job, in your church, in your family. We want this. We cry out for this. Sometimes it just, it just breaks us. There's a couple ways we handle this. Sometimes when we see the brokenness of the world, we will give ourselves over to being a savior. We will work our fingers to the bone to find a way to save this world. We will throw our bodies to the flames. We will work hard to make it right. And here's how a lot of us respond to a broken world. We just kind of give up. We're just kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to resign to this is how it's going to be. There's nothing I can really do about it. So it's really just about self-protection. I don't need to be a savior of the world. I'm just going to save my world. I'm going to stick to what I can do for me. It's about self-protection and self-preservation. So, hey, there's a third way. There's a third way. Jesus teaches us to pray like this. Your kingdom come. And packed inside these three words is eternity. Not just an idea of eternity. It's eternity breaking through into our world right now. So this, this is what we're asking for when we're asking your kingdom to come. So we're not going to read it. Just say it with me. Your kingdom come. Ready? Your kingdom come. That's it. You learned something in the Bible today. We're going to learn the whole thing. Your kingdom come. So not blind optimism, really not resigned pessimism. What are we asking for? Your kingdom come. Would you pray with me as we dive into these three words? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. You give us the words to pray, and not just as an incantation or just as something to get us started. You're shaping us 
you're changing us, you're teaching us how to pray, how to engage what you've given us. So as we open up this prayer, Jesus, that you have given to us, would you, would you help us? Would you help us to know how to pray this, why to pray it, what to expect when we open our mouths and repeat and respond to what you've given us, your kingdom come. So we give you this time and we thank you and we lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Your kingdom come. So we're going to wrap it around these three words. Um, we're going to try to make this as easy as possible. First, I want to understand what is this kingdom? What does it mean your kingdom come? Secondly, I want to answer this question. What do we experience in this kingdom? Because it just feels so far away. What? Are we in it? Is it here? Is it there? What is it? So what is it? What do we experience if we're in this kingdom? What does that feel like? And how do we, as the disciples of Jesus, how do we live in this kingdom? How do we practically operate in this kingdom? Very important thing. So we're going to walk through that. Your kingdom come. Now this is a cry for three things that kind of connect to these words. The first one is this. It's a cry for revolution. If it sounds like it, it is. If it feels like political language, it's because it is. If you were in the first century Palestine, you would have understood that. You're like, hey, don't sing that too loud. Rome's going to hear that. It's political language. So it is a cry for revolution. Secondly, it's a cry for freedom. It's not just revolution. You want freedom. So as we're calling, as we're crying out for God's kingdom to come, we must understand it gives us something that every single one of us wants. Maybe not in the time frame or in the way, but in a way that's glorious. It gives us freedom. And lastly, it's a call for faithfulness. Right? Your kingdom come is a call for faithfulness, especially in this way, in the face of future glory. Because where's the kingdom? Can you see it? It's here, but is it? Is it coming later? Yeah, so we, we understand that there's a call to faithfulness. Jesus is calling us to be faithful. So revolution, freedom, and faithfulness. So let's dive right in. What is this kingdom? This is actually, there's been a lot of ink spilled over this question. I'm gonna, again, I'm going to try to make it simple so can, I can understand it, and hopefully you can understand it. It's not the church. It's not you. It's not me. Um, it is God's rule. So let, let's unpack that. It's God's rule in a very specific way. It's his present rule. So he's present. It's his powerful rule. This is the kingdom of God. And it's permanent, right? So it's his present, powerful, permanent rule. They all start with P. We can remember that. So this is God's kingdom. Now, you should be saying, well, wait a minute. When we were talking about this um, not too long ago, about making decisions— Weren't you telling us that God is sovereign? Yes, I was. This is not that. This is not that God is sovereign in some general, specific way. When we're speaking of God's kingdom, we're talking about a very personal rule where God reigns very specifically. Not like he has a beach house at the beach and he never goes there, and then, you know, 10 years later, it's just a, it's like a pile of wood. No, he's in it. He's with you. He's present in his rule. He rules in you. And he's powerful. In God's kingdom, things happen. If you don't see things happening because God's kingdom is here, then either you're not seeing it or you're, or you're not understanding it correctly. So 
power. Things happen in God's kingdom, and it's permanent. So think of what we see today, the world that we live in, right? It's very tangible. It's fading. It's getting to the end of the playlist. You can hold on to it if you want, but it's going to lead you down. It's fading. Everything about this present world is very vivid, but dying and fading and moving away. Everything about God's kingdom, especially now, is very subtle, but it's, 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 it's waxing, it's growing, it's becoming more and more real. A little bit like when the sunrise comes up, before it even crests, especially if you're camping and you're actually outside and you're seeing it, when it starts to become twilight, you start to see the sky lighten up. Now, it's not daylight yet, but you know in a couple hours it's going to be brilliant sunshine. This is like the kingdom of God. It's real, it's coming it's present, it's powerful. So what, what happens in the kingdom of God? We're going to talk a little bit about that, but another way to, to understand it is it's, it's, it's where the Holy Spirit is present in power, where hearts are changed, where lives are changed. Yes, where miracles happen, we'll see that. Where the power of God is not static, it's moving and it's moving in people. You're witnessing the kingdom of God. That, that is the kingdom of God, God's present, powerful, permanent reign. What else is it? Well, before we even go there, um, here's how we can make this really simple. It's God with us. Very simple. If you're understanding God's kingdom rightly, you're understanding God is here. It's not something that's just going to happen. It's something that has happened. God with us. He's present. That is his kingdom. Um, your kingdom come, so is a cry for revolution, and, and here's why. This is subversive. This prayer is very, very subversive. The first word, your kingdom. It doesn't say the kingdom come. Your kingdom. Jesus is teaching us to pray to our heavenly Father, to our Father. Your kingdom come. So what does that mean for us? It means that there's more than one kingdom. It means that there's not just God's kingdom and then nothing. It means there's a present reign and rule in the created order that is not God's kingdom. So when we're praying, your kingdom come, we're asking for God's kingdom to supplant another kingdom, both in our lives and in our world. Uh, and this kingdom is subversive to the kingdom of darkness. Uh, let me just pick up on Colossians 1 verse 13, to explain this just a little bit, where Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, and he says, speaking of Jesus, he has delivered us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we're asking for overthrow. You're asking for a subversive kingdom to come in, sometimes seen and unseen, and overturn or overthrow the kingdom of darkness, this present reign that we feel, the reason we cry out, the reason we're not satisfied, the reason when the influenza breaks out and kills people, we're not okay with it. I'm done with that. We're, even when we get the flu, like there's a lot of people that, are, that have the flu in their kids. We're tired of that. We want a better world. We want a better way. We want a better kingdom. We want that. Um, you ever read that book, Lord of the Flies? Right? Who wrote that? I don't remember. I had to read it. 
Um, remember the story? A bunch of British lads are on this island, and they get marooned there, and they can't govern themselves. They try to run it themselves, and it just complete anarchy. That's how this world works, outside of the specific rule of God. Do you understand that? Um, sin, anything that is, doesn't line up with God's will for your life, yes, it's an act, an attitude, um, an attitude, yes, that even confronts with what God wants. But think of it this way. Sin disrupts God's rule in your life. In fact, sin demands self-rule. That's all it does. It's okay with God. Like, God's good. I like your stuff. I like you, right? You've done some good work, right? You should get rewarded for that. But at the end of the day, sin says, I must be in charge for me. Nobody's going to understand what makes me happier more than me. It's irrational for me to cede control to anyone, especially someone that I can't control, being God. So that's what sin does. That's what happened in Genesis 3. When the serpent confronts Eve and says, uh, I don't know, did God say you're not supposed to eat it? Well, yeah. Well, here's what you need to know. You're not going to die, A, and B, he just doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he knows, and we know, you'll be like him. Forget about imaging him. Image yourself. Forget about building his kingdom. Build your own. Why wouldn't you? You can't trust him to be out for your good. You can't trust him. Don't let him rule you. Rule yourself. This is the story of sin. And there's a break in relationship, and there's a cosmic fracture, and they lose the presence of God. So your kingdom come is a call for evolution. It's a call for God's order to step back in, not just in my life, but in this world. In this world. So what are we asking for? Like we learned last week, that God's name, the holiness of his name, we would feel the weight of his name. His reputation, both in our life, in this church, in this city, would grow and start to match with who he actually is, not with our ideas of who God should be, that we would feel the weight of his reputation, his holiness, his works, the weight of his glory. So what you're asking for when you say your kingdom come, you're asking for heaven right now, right here. This is the kingdom of God. Heaven breaks through and sets up personally right here, right now. You've heard people say that, right? Eh, I like to go into my beach house, my little piece of heaven. We want heaven, and we want it here. We want it here. God has put it in our heart to want it here. So that's what we're asking for, heaven here. Um, your kingdom come. We're asking for that. Secondly, it's a cry for freedom. Um, so if that's what the kingdom is, what do we experience when the kingdom is here? Well, remember, this is political language, so if you're going to understand the kingdom of God, and you're going to understand that Jesus is the king, are you interested in what his administration stands for? Are you? 
you think you'd vote for him? <laughs> kind of doesn't matter if you do or don't. But do, right? <laughs> but do. I say a lot of things that I, as I'm saying them, I'm realizing I should have, I should just look at what I wrote down. <laughs> vote for Jesus, for eternity. Listen, here's what his administration is all about. Here's what his kingdom is here for. And you're going to roll your eyes. He's 100% about love. This is his agenda. It always has been. If you're in his kingdom, you will experience it in a thousand different ways. Uh, let me read to you in John 17, 26. You want to know when you find out people's agenda, regardless of what they say, when you hear them talking in the back rooms, when they're with their closest advisors, when the tape recorders are off and the reporters are gone, then you find out what they really are up to. So let's go to the back room here between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father. Let's see what they're really up to. Are you curious? Man, I'm curious now. Verse 17, or chapter 17 of John, verse 25. The reason this is the back room, because this is the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus praying for our benefit so we can see what's going on between God the Father and God the Son. And remember, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He knows he's fulfilled his mission. And he says, I have made known to them your name, Father. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, Jesus saying this to the Father, may be in them and I in them. This is his agenda. He wants you to experience the love that God has given him that they share Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they want you to get in on that. That's always been his agenda. And there's no way for you to experience that without heaven breaking in, without a revolution happening, without God the Son coming. So it's redemption. It's salvation. The kingdom of God is not just for rule. It's not just because, well, I own it, so it should be mine. The kingdom of God is about God and you. He loves you. He wants you. He's redeeming. As John 17 says, or no, it's Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save. That's it. That is what he's up to. And how does he do that? Well, he secures freedom for you, right? So if the kingdom, your kingdom come as a cry for freedom, who's doing it? Um, well, let's look at that. It's not exactly where we are in Matthew, but Matthew's got some examples of it. Matthew 8, I'm just going to flip through some of the headings. Jesus cleanses a leper. Kingdom. You know what's good for the soil of a farm? The farmer's feet. When he's there, he takes care of business. You know what's good for this world? The king's feet in the soil. Watch what happens. Watch what happens when the kingdom arrives. And Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time, especially in Matthew. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He cleanses a leper. He heals many. What are we to understand from that? Death has an expiration date because the king is here. He heals. Now, he doesn't heal everybody. These are miracles. They both authenticate him, but they're also teaching you something about his kingdom. There's going to come a day when those in Christ will no longer experience sickness, affliction, and death. We're meant to understand that. His kingdom is wrapping things up. He's healing. He's also casting demons out. 
Matthew 8, he throws the gauntlet down for this present age, for Satan, for any angelic being that stands against him. He's just casting them out. Get out. Move on. You have to understand this age is going to end. So he secures freedom. So freedom from isolation. Our Father, not my Father, our Father. As we're reconciled to God the Father, we have a family. And he ends on belief. He ends on belief. Jesus does these things. So what experience of freedom do you have in this kingdom? Just a few, just a few that we can talk about. You experience forgiveness. Hey, do you feel forgiven? Sometimes we feel forgiven when we haven't even repented. That's a problem. Sometimes we never feel, most people never feel forgiven. You have complete and unqualified acceptance in Christ based on his work. Forgiveness, acceptance, fellowship in the spirit. You're not alone. Jesus pours out the Spirit of God, his personal presence, not a sidekick, God the Holy Spirit, to take up residence in your life and among us, executing the kingdom of God in real time. We're experiencing this. And also, as we understand, Romans 14 talks about the kingdom of God not being about what we eat or drink or what we do or don't do, but it's about righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. So we experience the peace of God in real time and joy. So your kingdom come is a cry for freedom. It's asking God for that. It's begging God for that. It's trusting God for that. Um, what does your experience of the kingdom feel like? I want to be careful with this because for most of us, most of the time, it feels like war. It's because there's a, there's a kingdom transition. You're in enemy territory. It feels like, well, I love Romans 7. Have you ever read that? Um, where Paul basically is saying, this, and this is how life is. At the end of Romans 7, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin and death that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what it feels like. So much of the time, this is what the kingdom of God feels like in experience. Yes, peace. Yes, joy. Yes, hope. Yes, war. You don't do what you want to do. You do what you don't want to do. You're struggling to trust God. You're, you're struggling to get your emotions in line with what God says of you. I know I'm forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. Your kingdom come. Bring that to me. Your kingdom come. A cry for freedom. Lord, um, one of the most dangerous things in an airplane is turbulence. And not just being in a cloud or in rain or something like that. Clear air turbulence. Brilliant sky, sunny. It's, everything's great. And then out of the blue, you can get moderate to severe turbulence. If you've ever been in moderate to severe turbulence, you will remember it. Things break. 
People get hurt, and it comes out of nowhere, usually. Um, many times, but here's why I want you to know. Why does this turbulence happen, this clear air turbulence? It's because you have two air masses moving in completely different directions. Could you imagine that? Have you ever seen anybody in the airport when they're, they, they're kind of running for a gate and they get into the moving sidewalk, but the wrong one, it's going this way, <laughs> and they hit it? What happens? They spin and they fall. And then being a good Christian, you laugh at them, <laughs> and then you go and you help them, right? That's wind shear. That's turbulence. That's what's happening when the airplane hits an air mass that's going maybe 100 miles an hour in a different direction. Pop! Everybody feels it. This is what the kingdom feels like so much. You want to anchor yourself to this world. You want to believe everything that this world tells you, and the kingdom of God won't let you do it. And you feel this wind shear. You feel this turbulence. You feel war. So a cry for freedom. The kingdom is a cry for faithfulness. So how do you live in it? <sighs> Understand, this prayer, watch, it's built on the foundation of God's holy name, and, the, and then the next step is his kingdom. It's not talking about anything we need right now at least in our personal needs. So understand this, you're not king in this kingdom. You're not even king of your own life. So you have to surrender your agenda. This prayer doesn't first and foremost vindicate my cause. It doesn't meet my needs. It doesn't solve my problems. But it flows out of this, a burning desire to see God's glory and his name spread on this earth. You want people to see him like you see him. You want his name to be hallowed. You want his kingdom to be present. So faithfulness. You want God's glory here now. And you're tired of waiting for it. So here's a category to help you with that. Here's what faithfulness does. It waits. So when you're thinking of the kingdom of God, two words, already here, but also not yet. How do you know it's already here? Well, the king's feet have been on the soil. When Jesus resurrected, his risenness is his inauguration of king. That's real. The kingdom of God kingdom of heaven is inaugurated with the resurrection of Christ. When he ascends publicly to the right hand of the Father, again, that's political language. He's on station there right now bodily, executing the kingdom of God, interceding for his saints, moving history forward. And we have healing. We have significant healing, but it's not total. We still struggle. We still are frustrated. We still die. Yes? Until Jesus comes back. When he returns, he fulfills his complete kingdom. And everything that we've longed for comes to us in fullness. So here's how we remain faithful. Listen to this. This is in Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. So, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. You, you got to hold tight. That, that's fa 
faithfulness in, in the face of future glory. It's already here and not yet. It's going to feel like peace and joy and war. Following Jesus actually creates longing. You want more. You want heaven here now. It makes you less satisfied in some ways. It increases your yearning for him, and that's good. Uh, many of you know um, the Lord of the Rings series. I know I'm not allowed to talk about that because Pastor Steve Reed, who we planted, doxology, that's his thing. But I read it too, so... <laughs> Um, you know Tolkien? Great, great writer. Um, one of the things maybe you don't know is that when he was developing the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, he got to the end of himself. He loved Anglo-Saxon and English mythology, and he was like, you know, the Greco-Romans, that's still here, and everybody remembers that in Norse, but nobody remembers English mythology. So he, he had this world in his mind, and he developed this whole world, and he's building language. He literally writes out languages. People can speak Elvin, I think, and he, he probably in this church. And so he, he, he builds all this out, and he finally gets to the end of himself. He's, so, he's over it. He's got writer's block. He's tired. And World War II is, is off to the races, and he's just, you know, he's just, he's done. And one day he wakes up, and he writes this little quick article. It's called Leaf by Niggle, N-I-G-G-L-E. It happened really quick. It just poured out of his brain. And then when the Dublin Review called him, shortly thereafter, and said, hey, can you give us an article? And he gave it to him. So let me just briefly tell you about Niggle. First of all, the name Niggle. It means somebody who is a perfectionist that basically does a lot of things and details but never really gets anything done. So there, there's, a, there's an idea in the word. And Niggle was a painter. He liked to paint. That was what he did. However, um, one thing that captivated his mind, which was called the journey, he knew that he was going to die someday. And he knew that that train would come and take him to the next world. And he was very nervous about that because he had things to accomplish in this world. And so he, he got to painting, and Niggle had this, this idea to paint a leaf. He wanted to paint a leaf really well. And then as he thought about it, he's like, well, this leaf is connected to this tree, and this tree is on a hill. And this hill is by a plain, and this plain is full of a grass, and that moves out to, then he has a whole world. And so he's like, I'm going to paint this. This is going to be the thing I do before I die. So he gets a canvas that's so big, he needs a ladder to go up on it. So he starts painting this leaf. But there's two problems with Niggle when it comes to painting this expansive canvas. One is this. He's so much better at painting a leaf than a tree. He focuses on the detail. He gets the dew just right. And then he erases it. No, I'm going to put it up here. Be a little bit bigger. No, the color's off. He works on it incessantly. So that's one issue. And secondly, people distract him. He's got a kind heart. So people will ask Niggle to do things for them. And he will. And one night, um, he's asked to go out into the rain and cold because somebody's wife um, was ill and go get the doctor. So he does. And he comes back, and he eventually gets a bad cold himself. And he succumbs to it, and he dies. And he's so worried. He knows he's dying. And then the driver, capital D, comes and takes him away. And he's on that train going to the next world. And he hears two voices. One voice is justice. And justice says, you kind of wasted your life. You did a lot of things, but got nothing done. The other voice wasn't necessarily much nicer, but it was called mercy. 
and said, yes, but you are attentive to the right things. So he's considering that, and he's going to the next world, and he's on the edge of heaven. He sees a tree, and it has a leaf that looks just like his. He gets off the train, and he runs up to it. He's like, that's my leaf. That's my tree. And the tree's waving in the wind, and it's on the edge of this other world. It's on the edge of new creation. It's on the edge of heaven. And he finally understands the world that had captivated his imagination and his vision was God's world. It's God's world. And it all made sense to him. He knew it was a gift. When you're praying, my kingdom come, what world has captivated you? What world are you all in on? What world have you given everything up for? Is it this world? It's what this world has to offer to you? Or is it the kingdom that's coming that you can see and smell and feel and taste and is inaugurated by the life, death, and resurrection of the king? Is that the world that's grabbed your imagination? Is that the world you're waiting for? Is that the world that you want? No matter what you do and how far you do it and what you accomplish right now, are you living for his kingdom? Do you believe that his righteousness belongs to you? Are you willing to pray your kingdom come and mean it, even if it squishes and lands on top of your kingdom? Could you survive that? Your kingdom come. It's revolution, it's freedom, and it requires faithfulness. Here's how you enter his kingdom. Repentance, turning from sin. Faith, trusting in Jesus, embracing him, and new birth. The Spirit of God gives you a new life, new desires, a new family, a new father. So what's wrong with the world? You. Me. We don't want them. Every kingdom gets overthrown with violence. This one too. Except in this way, Jesus takes on the violence of a bunch of kids that didn't want him. A nation, a world, a humanity didn't want him. He suffers violence, gets rejected as the king, in so doing takes on death for you. Let that stretch your imagination. Receive that and understand he is making all things new, but it starts with you trusting in him. Your kingdom come. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, you don't tell us to build a kingdom. You bring it. You don't tell us, Lord, to overcome sin on our own. You destroy death by taking it on. As we pray this prayer, would you help us to understand and understand it well, Lord? We long for a revolution. We long for this new world to come, Lord. We long for you. Your kingdom come. In the name of Jesus, amen.